Good morning, everybody. Um, we have got two passages like we usually do. We are starting in Deuteronomy um, chapter 19, just one verse from there, verse 15. And then we're going to move to 2 Corinthians. So we'll start in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offence that they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And then from 2 Corinthians, we're starting in uh, chapter 12, verse 14, going through to chapter 13, verse 14. Now, I'm ready to visit you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you, yet crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent you? I urged Titus to go to you, and I sent another brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not walk in the same footsteps by the same spirit? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. And everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorder. I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin and debauchery in which they have indulged. This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him in our dealing with you. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realise that Christ Jesus is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test? And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong, not so that people will see that we have stood the test, but so that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. This is why I write these things when I am absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. 
Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thanks, Trudy, and uh, good morning again. Everyone, I should have introduced myself before. My name's Mark. If we haven't met, I'm one of the, the pastors here at Trinity Church Modbury. It's great to, great to be with you all this morning. Um, there's a guy who I've got to know a bit this year, and like, you know how it is with friendships. You don't, you don't really think about it in the moment, but, but um, when I stop and think about it, there are things in the friendship that I look at, and I just think they don't seem that healthy at all. Like, like this guy's really self-absorbed. It's, it's all about him. There's, there's no concern for me whatsoever. And not just that, but he really, I don't know if you have relationships like this, but this guy just really does not have his life together at all. He, I try and give him advice about how he can sort of get things going in life a little bit, and he, and he ignores pretty much all of it. It's, it's a relationship that's cost me time, money, and energy. I've, I've lost sleep over this guy. Um, and I don't think he'd have any idea. Like, I, I, he's never once thanked me for, for what I've done for him. Um, and so you wonder, why, why do I bother? Why do I bother with someone like that? And the answer is, well, it's because I love him. Got a photo of me and him just there, by the way. And um, look, perhaps I'm expecting a little bit much of a, a newborn baby, but, but what I've just described there is not unlike the Apostle Paul's relationship with a lot of people in the Corinthian church. Um, he's given so much of himself for them, but, but they've made life really hard for him. Uh, they've acted in ways that, that go right against the life of following Jesus that, that Paul has encouraged them towards. And not only that, but they, they've launched some very personal attacks against Paul as well. And, and, and yet Paul persists in loving them. Uh, and 2 Corinthians is, is a letter that Paul wrote to this church. And it's all about how God is strong even when we're weak. Uh, people in the Corinthian church have criticized Paul for, for being weak and, and unimpressive, particularly when they compare him with other public speakers who were doing the rounds at that time. But for Paul, his, his weakness just shows God's power all the more clearly. And he ends the letter in the, the passage that we just read by expressing his love for them. And it's not an, an empty, sentimental kind of love, but, but it's a love that, that's grounded in who Jesus is and what it means to live for him. It's a love that gives, a love that fears, and a love that's willing to challenge and confront uh, so for Paul, love gives. To, to love someone is, is to give of yourself for them. Uh, as Paul brings his letter to a close, he, he tells the Corinthians, now I'm ready to visit you for the third time and I will not be a burden to you. Why not? Well, because, Paul says, what I want is not, not your possessions, but you. Paul, Paul isn't just some gifted speaker who wants their money before he moves on to the next town. He loves them, like a parent loves a child. And after all, he says, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Uh, when I first held Bailey a few weeks ago, I didn't, my first thought wasn't, oh, mate, I wonder how much money I can make out of you in the future. It was, it was, it was, no, it was more like, mate, I would do whatever it takes to make sure that you've got everything you need. And, and it's the same for Paul. He, he sees himself as a spiritual parent 
to each one of the Corinthian Christians. The, the, the thought of using them to feather his own nest couldn't be further from his mind. And he makes that clear in the, the verses that follow. He says to them, I've, I've never exploited you, never, ever. And, and no one that I've sent to you has exploited you either. We, we care about you. We don't care about what we can get out of you. Uh, and so he says, I will gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. It's a, it's a sacrificial love that Paul has for them. I'm, I'm ready to spend and be spent for you. Uh, and then in verse 19, we see, we see what his goal is in this, but also what his goal isn't as well. He, he says to them, have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? Um, do you really think that's why I wrote this letter of two Corinthians to you? He's, he's saying to them, do you think that what I care about is, is that you're impressed by me? No, not at all, he says. Everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. Everything that Paul says and does is to build them up in their faith. His love, it's not motivated by wanting people to like him or, or people to, to think that he's really great. No, genuine gospel-centered love is about spending and being spent to, to see people built up together in Jesus. Love gives so that people grow. The, the goal of loving someone isn't that they, they like me or that, that I get some other benefit out of them. It's that they grow closer to Jesus. I wonder, is that what love means for you? Is that what love means for you? As you think about the, the people you love, whether that's family, people here at church, wherever, what is it that you really want for them? Do you want them to, to like you? Do you want them to be impressed by you? Do you, do you want to gain from them in some other way? Or, or do you want them to know Jesus better and become more like Jesus? If you're a parent, what, what would your kids think? is the most important thing to you about them? Um, is it how they behave in public? Where, is it the, the grades they get in school? Is it, is it how what they do reflects you in, in some other way? Or is it whether they know and love Jesus? Love gives to see people grow in Jesus. And, and for that reason, love also fears. Uh, see, when we, when we love something deeply, we, we expose ourselves to fear. Paul, Paul cares deeply about the Corinthians' faith in Jesus, and, and so the thought of them rejecting Jesus or, or living in a way that doesn't honor Jesus is, is very real for him. Uh, he says to them, everything we do is for your strengthening, uh, because I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. And if you think that sounds like a bit of a pessimistic thought from Paul, then probably best to go and read the letter of 1 Corinthians, because we see that all of those were, were issues for this church. Uh, Paul's fear is that when he comes along for this third visit, he, he's not going to find them strong in their faith in Jesus. He's going to, to find them behaving in the complete opposite way that Jesus calls them to just like they were when he wrote 1 Corinthians. And he says to them, I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I'll be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity 
sexual sin and debauchery in which they have indulged. Authentic love gives to, to see people grow in Jesus. And, but the other side of the coin is that authentic love fears and grieves people walking away from Jesus or, or struggling in their faith in Jesus. Uh, this, this is the cost of Paul's love. Uh, we saw in last week's passage, um, that he said to the Corinthians, it, it's not just that my ministry causes me to struggle physically. Sure, I've been, I've been shipwrecked, I've been whipped, I've had all these bad things happen. But besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin and I don't inwardly burn? Paul, Paul rides the, the highs and the lows of the church so, so intensely because he loves the people so much. They're his children in the faith. He, he wants them to live for Jesus, to, to stand firm in Jesus. Now, loving people will cause us at times to, to fear and to grieve when they stumble and drift. Now, it's not that we ignore our own faults and that, and that we judgmentally focus on, on other people's. But it's more that we're, we're so invested in one another's growth in Jesus that, that we ride those highs and those lows with them. My biggest hope and prayer for, for my two boys is, is that they'll know and love and stand firm in Jesus. And the flip side of that is that my biggest fear is them deciding not to follow Jesus. Uh, I can think of a number of guys I've walked alongside over the years, some, some of them guys my age, some of them guys uh, a bit younger. And for some of these guys, it, often it seemed like they're making really good progress in their faith. That, but then other times, I just see or hear that they've taken huge steps backwards. Uh, some of them, I'm, I'm not even sure if they have a genuine faith in Jesus at all. And I fear for those guys. Don't, look, don't get me wrong. I, I have confidence in God's grace and his power to, to do amazing things in their lives, but there's an anxiety that I feel every time I, I see them or, or I hear about them. Uh, I'm afraid that, that I won't find them the way that I want them to be. Will they still be going to church? Will they be living a life that's centered on Jesus? And the thing that makes me fear is love. Love gives, love fears, and love confronts. The love that, that, that persuades Paul to give and, and causes him to fear also makes him willing to, to confront and to challenge the Corinthians. This will be my third visit to you, he says. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. He's quoting from that Deuteronomy verse that, that we read just earlier, where God gives his people a, a law that basically says that one person's Witness testimony isn't enough to punish someone. It, it needs two or three witnesses, which is to, to protect innocent people uh, from getting condemned. Uh, Paul is saying, if, if I visit you three times and I find you disobedient each time, well, that, that's effectively three witnesses against you. Discipline is going to be needed. Uh, he tells them, I, I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time, and now I repeat it. On my return... I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others. Since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me, he's not weak in dealing with you, but he's powerful among you. 
Paul is prepared to, to confront sin when it's needed. And he won't be acting alone when he does it. It's going to be Jesus working powerfully through him. Uh, to be sure, Paul says, Jesus was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, and yet by God's power, we will live with him in our dealing with you. Uh, so when Jesus died on the cross, he, he seemed completely weak. And yet in reality, he, he is God's risen and reigning and all-powerful king. Uh, Paul seems quite weak. That's, that's why he's getting all the criticism and the, and the rejection from the Corinthian church. And, and yet God uses Paul's weakness to show his strength. All of the power of the resurrected Jesus is, is going to be at work when Paul disciplines the people in the church uh, who have continued to sin. And the power of Jesus is still at work today when, when the church follows Paul's lead. Uh, Jesus told his disciples, these are, might, might be quite familiar words, he, he tells them in Matthew's Gospel, where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Now that verse often gets kind of ripped out of its context and gets used to explain how effective it is when Christians come together and, and pray together. But, but if you read it in, in its wider context, what we see is the point Jesus is making is, is that when sin in the church is dealt with in an appropriate way, Jesus himself is, is present and he is at work in that situation. Uh, but what's important is that when Paul confronts sin and when, when he challenges people, he does it in love. Uh, he says to them that, that verse that we, we heard in the All Ages spot, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. He's really pushing them here. He's pushing them to ask themselves, am I a genuine Christian? Is Jesus in me? Am I in Jesus? See, for Paul, that's the only test that matters. Paul knows that he has miserably failed the, the tests that people have given him about whether he's a, a really good public speaker like all of the other public speakers. He doesn't care that this is the only test that matters, whether, whether I'm in Christ. And he wants the Corinthians back then, and he wants us today as well to, to hear this challenge and to come to, to one of two conclusions. All right? Either, yes, I am a genuine Christian, and, and I know that that needs to shape the way I live. So either that or, no, I realize that I'm not following Jesus, and, and I need to do something about that. And so the question is, how do we know if we pass this test? How do we know? How do I know if I'm a, a genuine Christian? Well, do you believe in the same Jesus that Paul preaches? Uh, the Jesus who is revealed to us in the Bible? Uh, do you believe the same gospel that Paul preaches? Do you, do you believe that the only reason that you can be right with God is that Jesus died for your sins? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead to defeat death and to show us the way to true life. And if you believe that, have you committed to, to getting to know Jesus better each day and aligning your life with the life that he calls you to live? Is Jesus your king? Or are you your king? Uh, I can't actually remember if this is Crocodile Dundee 1 or Crocodile Dundee 2, but if you've, if you've seen the movies, you might have heard this quote. This is uh, Mick Dundee. Um, 
You know, God and Jesus and all them apostles, they were all fishermen just like me. Yeah, straight to heaven for Mick Dundee. Yep, me and God, we'd be mates. Be familiar quote if you've seen the movie. And, you know, we'd read that and kind of, kind of laugh about what a, what a flimsy assumption that is. But, but there is a, a subtle danger of following a God who, or following a Jesus who is of our own making. One who, who conveniently thinks the exact same things that we do. See, if there's no discomfort and, there, and there's no cost for us in living for Jesus, then, then it's worth making sure that the Jesus we're following is the real Jesus. Now, if that's something you're not sure about, it'd be great to, to have a chat with someone about it. I'd love to have a, a chat afterwards or, or during the week sometime. There, there might be someone else here who you know and trust and, and want to talk to about it. Uh, as I said before, we've got our next life series coming up in a few weeks' time. That, that's a really great opportunity to, to think seriously about who Jesus is, where you're at with him, and, and, and what it looks like to follow him. Paul doesn't confront or challenge people to, to boost his own ego or to appear powerful or, or to get revenge on people who have offended him. He does it out of love. This is why I write these things when I'm absent, he says to them. So that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not tearing you down. Paul is not looking for conflict. He's not seeking after conflict. He, he has authority from Jesus himself as an, as an apostle to, to confront sin, and, and he's prepared to do it. He'd rather have the hard chat than, than see someone drift away from Jesus. But at the same time, he doesn't want to use his authority harshly. He knows that it's been given to him by God, not to harm people, but, but to strengthen people in their faith. And so for us, for us today, it's, it's unloving for us to turn a blind eye to sin in the church. We, we need to confront it. There'll be times when we need to have those hard chats, when we need to challenge one another. Which is hard, isn't it? Because it goes completely against the way that our culture teaches us to love people. Our, our society's idea of love is, it's largely about affirming one another in being true to ourselves. Whereas Paul's idea of love, which is largely about challenging one another to be true, not to ourselves, but to Jesus. And so, are you ready to have those hard chats? Uh, when, you, when you think that there's a, an unmarried person in your, your community group who might be sleeping with their partner. Or maybe, maybe a friend of yours who's been unhelpfully spreading gossip or, or been uh, using social media in a way that isn't appropriate. It's hard to have those conversations. It's really hard. But if, but if we love one another, we'll do it. And we'll do it like Paul, not, not wanting to tear people down, not wanting to, to hurt people. But we'll do it with the goal of building one another up in Jesus. It's, it's not healthy for us to have a, a, a judgmental kind of mindset where we're looking for conflict and looking for confrontation. Uh, we do have to check our motives when we do it. Is this something that needs to be challenged? Or is it just something that annoys me? 
And is my deep desire here to see this person built up in Jesus? It's worth us reflecting as we go away from here today. Is my idea of love the same idea that Paul has? Is the goal of my love that people like me or that people are impressed by me? Or or do I love people with a, a deep desire for them to be strengthened in Jesus? Am I giving of myself to see people grow in Jesus? And does it not just disappoint me, but does it grieve me to, when, to see people reject Jesus or, or to live in a way that ignores him? And do I love people so much that I'm willing to challenge them when I see them drifting away from Jesus or, or living in a way that dishonors him? Let's pray about these things. Father, we, we thank you for your awesome and gracious love for us. And, and we pray that as you have loved us, we would honor you in our love for one another. We ask that the life of our church and that each of our hearts would be driven by a love that gives, a love that fears, and a love that's willing to confront. Please use us to strengthen one another in Christ. And in those times when when sin needs to be challenged, help us to do so with love, with grace, and with confidence in the power of your Son to bring the repentance and the transformation that's needed. Amen.